0: Rest in peace to Narcissus. He would have loved to self-check out. That was what better have, than the last what one. What
1: have we become? <laughs> <laughs> this week on Jackson Film Club, the podcast, I'm your co-host, Sam Grafe. I'm Michael Lamb. And we're going to be breaking down my friend Michael's top 20 favorite films of all time. Yes, yeah, so I'm in the hot seat
0: this week. And- Careful, it's a little hot. I'm going to be going through the top 20 list. So, I started last year compiling top 20 lists. I would ask people to give me their their 20 favorite movies. And this is the list that I have made. Yeah. So, stick around f- to find out if it stinks or not. Big yikes. All right. So, number 1. Just run down them pretty relatively quick. The Truman Show. Number 2, is Spirited Away. Number three is Princess Mononoke. Number four is Paul Schrader's First Reformed. Number five, Moonlight. Number six, Hereditary. Number seven, Ex Machina. Number eight, Blade Runner 2049. Number nine, Midsommar. Number 10, Manchester by the Sea. Number eleven Drive. Number twelve No Country for Old Men. Number thirteen, Pride and Prejudice. Number fourteen, Mary and Max. Number fifteen was Bo Burnham's What? Number fifteen, that was number fifteen. Number sixteen, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Number seventeen is Sound of Metal. Number eighteen, Knives Out. Number nineteen. Her and number 20, Inception.
1: Not bad. Not bad at all.
0: Sam, what's the percentage of this list that you've seen?
1: Um, I've seen 14 of them. Oh, shoot. I just, hang on. Give me a second.
0: Scroll to the bottom.
1: Yeah, I messed it up. I've seen 14 of them, so 70%. Nice. Yeah, not bad. Uh, yeah. And a lot of these are... Uh, on my favorites not a lot of them are on my favorites list but a lot of them I love like really love like um, just to run down ones that are on my favorites list also Truman Show uh, No Country uh, Inception those are on my on my list but then Knives Out I love Um, Scott Pilgrim Versus versus the World Sound of Metal is great yeah so I, I like a lot of the ones I like a lot of your list I haven't seen um, either of the anime picks.
0: Um, oh, you're talking about the Miyazakis. I guess that's not anime, is it? They're just animations. So, so uh, I, I'm I'm not gonna be that guy. Uh, <laughs> I actually, I think the the main difference between like anime and then these films is the same difference between like animated series and movies. Just like you save the anime for for serialized TV yeah. stuff, and then there are anime films. Well,
1: Ghost in the Shell is anime, right?
0: I think it is. Uh, who I, knows? I, I also don't don't know how much like being a manga plays into whether or not something is an anime. Yeah, but some people call these animes. They're they're it's Studio Ghibli. Uh, Studio Ghibli is Ghibli like, or Ghibli? I've heard both and I don't know which is correct, so forgive my ignorance. Okay. Um, but I, I've kind of viewed that that studio as the Disney of Japan. Yeah. The the movies that they make are a lot more thought-provoking, I think, than some of the things that come out of Disney. Maybe not so much at Disney Pixar, but those are both well-put-together stories from Hayao Miyazaki, and the way that that guy puts together uh he he just loves taking care of the audience, yeah, and, and that comes through in both of those those films.
1: I'm surprised those are in your top three. I I've been meaning to watch both of those particular. Spirit Away. It's on my my watch
0: list on HBO Max. Um, so one of the reasons that I mean th- these top three these are these are films that I saw in high school. So these have been formative for movies that like impacted me. So much that, like, I'm still talking about them 20-something years later. Yeah. Um, I, there's a lot of movies that I saw in middle school and high school, and I couldn't tell you the first thing. I couldn't even tell you whether or not I saw them, but yeah, these three in particular. Uh,
1: before we get into the stuff that we've both seen that we can actually talk about, what is Mary and Max?
0: I've never heard of that. Oh, Mary and Max? So, I remember seeing that. That was on Netflix for a while. It's just a, a short story, um, or I think it's like a, a half an hour film.
1: It says hour and a half.
0: So, um, these two friends, Mary and Max, they become pen pals. And the, the film just explores their relationship uh, with some kind of darker themes because um, it deals with like mental health and, and suicide. And it does it all in a way that is still like, accessible and, and and at the necessary times lighthearted. Yeah. Plus it features this song from the Penguin Orchestra, Penguin Cafe Orchestra, Penguin Orchestra, Penguin Orchestra Cafe. Perpetua Mobile is the name of the song. It's just this little piano piece. Cool beans. And it's got a nice repetition and features very prominently in that movie.
1: Cool. Uh... I am curious about... Well, I'm surprised that you have Hereditary above Midsommar because you've seen Midsommar like 10 times, right? In the last two years.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a big fan of Ari Aster. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as much as I think that his mind is depraved. Oh, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> it, if he's not seeing a therapist, then I feel really bad for him. Um, Hereditary to me is a more... Technically perfect movie, whereas *Midsummer* is definitely like this epic breakup opera that he wrote that has to have made him feel better at the end of it. Mm. Um, I, I placed it in number nine, sort of a tongue-in-cheek reference to the movie itself.
1: Is there something to do with nine in the movie?
0: Nine is a pretty important number. Yeah, copy that. I have not
1: seen it yet. Um, honestly at this point I don't know that I would watch it without you just because we've talked about it but it's one of those movies that I the same thing I have have seen Hereditary but Midsommar I know everything that happens in it for the most part uh, just because I, I think it was relatively popular when it came out and I was interested but I didn't really want to watch it because I'm not a big horror guy um,
0: Well, so at this point I think our episode where we talk about Lamb will have come out yeah uh, so uh I kind of regret not mentioning this whenever we were recording that episode, but Midsummer kind of reminded me, uh, or Lamb Atlanta. reminded me a lot of Midsummer, and especially just tonally how how these movies begin and end. So they both begin with this very dreary, wintry, atmospheric open,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then they both end with a shot on our female protagonist and at the end of midsummer there's there was a lot of conflict for me whenever the movie was ending because the score is telling you this is like triumphant this is great everything that's happening is like the culmination of all the things that you've been watching for the last two and a half hours you should be happy and i just was not convinced that i should be happy whereas at the end of lamb uh there's no score telling you what to what to think or yeah. feel. There's just a woman who is feeling what she feels and uh so very different endings when you actually examine them, but on the surface Felt similar to you. They, they they feel pretty similar. Yeah. Um also the when I think this this the shot happens in the trailer but uh, my Favorite thing in the movie is is when flower the crown. lamb Ada gets her a little flower crown. Oh, that, that definitely I thought you were talking about mid-summer. flower clown,
1: flower clown, flower crown in Midsummer. Um, but yeah, that is pretty funny. There's, yeah, the mm. shot in the trailer where like Numi Rapaz gives <laughs> Ada a kiss. Mm-hmm. It's like, what is it? That's the first time you're like, oh, there's a <laughs> lamb kid in this movie, yeah. Um, uh, so man, you're your list is like mine and that like you'll have a very dark disturbing movie like Midsummer, and then there's Scott Pilgrim versus the world which is like I love I've seen I saw it within the last year and I love that movie so much
0: I think so you you pointed out uh, I've watched Midsommar I've logged it on Letterboxd I think 11 times Jeez. I've probably watched it more than 20 times get some help yikes uh <laughs> The the only other movie that I know of that I think that comes anywhere in close to that that number of rewatches in my life is Scott Pilgrim vs. Really?
1: World. So you've watched Midsommar in the last two years more than you've watched any other movie in your life? Just about? Probably, yeah. Oh my gosh.
0: I say that I'm studying it.
1: I think that's a healthy unhealthy way for you to cope with the fact that you have an obsession with a disturbing, depraved movie, but Keep telling yourself that.
0: Okay. This coming from the guy who hasn't seen it.
1: Scott Pilgrim versus the world, dude. Midsummer. Scott Pilgrim versus the world may be the funniest movie I've ever seen.
0: It is very funny. I laughed so hard. That movie. So I love Edgar Wright, and I'm yeah. really looking forward to Last Night in Soho. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Just to. Get another hit of Edgar Wright,
1: which is probably going to be super different, but
0: it will probably be very different. It's probably yeah. out. Baby Driver felt go. pretty pretty similar, and as far as like how he used the soundtrack in a movie, um, but Scott Pilgrim kind of changed my my life. So that was like 2008 when that came out. Ten, 2010. Yeah, which by the way,
1: 2010 was an incredible year for movies. You've got Inception on there too, which also came out in 2010.
0: Oh yeah, that that one messed me up. Inception? I saw, that was one of the first movies that I remember going to the theaters by myself. Because like, I don't know if it, this was a thing for you, but especially in the South, it it's like uncommon for people oh. to just go to the movies by themselves.
1: The first time I did it, I felt like I was doing something wrong. Like I felt like <laughs> I was going to take Mission Impossible or something and I was like, I feel like I shouldn't be doing this. Even though I was like, literally doing nothing wrong. Yeah. But yeah, it's people, I've, I've told people before, yeah, I'm probably going to go see that movie. They're like, who are you going to see it with?
2: I'm like, nobody. And they're like, why would you do that? I don't know. Yeah. I think it's understood that if you're seeing movies by yourself, you're definitely single and or lonely is what the the usual depiction of it is. Or we're interesting and quirky. Yeah. Well, I think this is a a more of a mental health thing. But I think when I was going through a rough period with dating and everything – One thing I did to kind of date myself and learn myself a little better was go to movies by myself. Mm -hmm. And this is just something that I wanted to do. It's just something that I said, okay, I want to go see this movie. No one else is going to go with me. That's totally cool. Yeah, It's very much a southern, maybe it's not southern, but it's a very much a cultural thing where we live right now where it's like you have to go with someone else. It's expected.
1: Yeah, I've definitely done that before. There there was a time, not to get you personal, but...
2: Relationship wise, where I was
1: like, man, I would really rather be by myself for a little bit and not just like sitting here experiencing this. And so I just went to the theater, watched a movie, came out, sat in the parking lot, went and grabbed a sandwich from Firehouse Subs, (laughs) ate it in the parking lot, walked right back in and watched another movie. And I was just like at the movie theater for like six hours. And they came back, and I was like, all right, cool. I needed that. That sounds awesome.
0: Well, there's something to just being able to do things by yourself. It's yeah. Like, I mean, earlier today, I had dinner by myself at Elvi's. And speaking of the movie Lamb, I had a rack of <laughs> lamb. It was the dinner special tonight.
1: If Elvie's would like to sponsor us, that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be so awesome. Like, not,
0: not joking, that would be great. Oh, are you kidding? I would give them all this advertisement for free. I freaking love Elvis. Yeah, Elvie's yes. is good. <laughs> um, but yeah it, it's a thing even to just have dinner by yourself. The, mm-hmm. uh, I, I've had a couple people, uh, a couple of different experiences where you know I, I was at some restaurant or out, and sometimes I, I I've been traveling. so it's like I'm not with anybody. like I'm just I, I expect to come to dinner and eat food by myself. Like it, I get more enjoyment when I'm able to just sit there and focus on the food and not have to like entertain a conversation. But there's been a couple times where people will come up and just be like, "Are you eating with anybody?" And like, it can be a fun time to just get to know random people. But st- sometimes it's just like, "Just leave me alone." I- I'm obviously having a great time eating by myself. <laughs> Please just leave me alone, <laughs> dude.
2: That's how you learn to like who you are as a person. Yeah, it's it's how you improve your self talk. You improve your mental health. You improve everything about yourself if you learn to like who you are as a person enough to go sit alone in silence over a nice yeah. meal. The biggest or go signal. To a movie
0: to me is like if i'm reading a book don't talk to me if i'm not oh, reading yeah, a book right. i don't understand that why, it's, why would it? you it's same do thing.
2: That. reading a book and going to dinner by yourself ought to be viewed as like the same thing it's a personal activity you do for your own personal enjoyment that
1: being said though i mean if i'm sitting in a restaurant i look over and i see like an old man sitting and eating by himself i'm that's immediately sad. sad that's yeah it's not as sad well first of all you imagine okay he's probably a widower but like I feel like when you see somebody sitting and eating by themselves, your first thought is, oh, they're lonely. But that goes back to what you said. It's a cultural thing. You just are expected yeah. to do things like that with other people. Movies is yeah. what we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> but uh, on the well, uh, on the idea of isolation, you got her on your list, which uh, I think is big, big lonely vibes. Okay. Unless you want to keep talking about Scott Pilgrim.
0: Uh, I think we we had kind of moved on from from all of that. So okay. yeah, her is. I
1: don't I don't remember how we got on that tangent. I, last thing I remember it's
0: was because I Hogan chimed and I blacked in out. genuinely because
2: okay. I chimed in and talked about like oh it's healthy to do that and then we started talking about it. Brennan, don't speak. So is that, that. I'll just edit uh,
0: <laughs> Spike Jones. Yes. And so that's Joaquin Phoenix, Amy Adams. Uh, I don't know why Amy Adams came to mind.
1: It is sooner, Amy Adams.
0: sooner than uh, Scarlett Johansson.
1: Because well, you can see her face,
0: and then, um, uh, uh, who is the wife? Rooney Mara. Oh yeah, she is in that movie. The that that was a special one for me. So there's a moment that I remember, and I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, but I, I will kind of set up. So if you haven't seen the movie, her, it's a movie where Joaquin Car- Joaquin Phoenix plays a character, and he's downloaded an operating system that is voiced by Scarlett Johansson and they fall in love so he falls in love with his computer and early on in the movie uh before he meets Scarjo he uh you're introduced to his job his career he he writes letters for people but then at night he he goes and is home alone and will log on to chat rooms and talk to people um or like have cyber sex and there's a moment after he's met Scarjo after they've developed their relationship a little bit where it's cinematically the same thing where it's like he's in bed and he's you know looking to have some sort of sexual satisfaction and instead of you know logging onto an anonymous chat board he just talks to to you know his operating system girlfriend and the way that they're talking to each other, uh, it gets really intimate. And I remember, like, kind of closing my eyes and just letting myself be a part of that moment. And when it end, ended, I opened my eyes and the screen had cut to black at some point. And this was my first time watching it. I'd never really, I didn't know anything about the movie. I didn't, like, plan on that. But it, it, it left me with this impact that. It's like the director expected, or at least it felt like he expected me to, to shut my eyes and to not be looking at anything in that moment. And I felt really seen or cared for by a director. Uh, it's a really interesting moment.
2: It is interesting. I was going to say, I completely agree. That scene was extremely powerful. I almost want to say that the director might have done it in a sense to. Obviously, eliminate distractions and everything, but for people that may not be as introspective as you or into film as you are, to close your eyes actively in a movie theater where you're literally there to watch something on a screen, to make that choice for them so that they could get more involved and understand what he was feeling in that moment. Yeah. Like, kind of force you to close your eyes. Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? mm mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah, so it's like, the director obviously wanted everyone to end in the same place there in that moment. It's like he wanted everybody to be focused on like, this is what their relationship looks like. This is how they talk to each other. Mm-hmm. It's like stop looking at the pretty thing on the screen and just pay attention. Which it is, is a very pretty movie. It is very it's pretty. cinematography movie. is incredible. Yes. Uh, so I think that when it comes to, to the nature of storytelling, knowing when a moment like that, Happens and knowing to do something like that, that that, that takes talent, and yeah. I respect the hell out of Spike Jones for that.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen any other Spike Jones movies, but I I do need to get on that. He he hasn't directed a ton, has he? I mean, I know he did a lot of music videos and things like that.
0: Uh, I couldn't tell you anything else I've seen from him.
1: Okay, yeah, he hasn't done that much. Um, uh, he did uh, adaptation and being John Malkovich, so he definitely. His style kind of reminds me of like Charlie Kaufman, who did um, wrote Eternal Sunshine and did and directed. um, I'm thinking of Ending Things. Yeah, kind of feels the same.
0: I saw adaptation. I gave it five stars, but honestly, it it kind of annoyed me. Michael, why did you do that? (laughs) The I don't have to like a movie to recognize that it's very good.
1: I, yeah, I mean, I get that. Okay. Uh, Inception.
0: Okay, so this is... Actually, this is,
1: I, honestly, unless you really want to talk about Inception, I'd rather talk about A no Country for Old Men.
0: You, okay, I would rather talk about it. Because no both
1: country. of those are on my favorites list. Inception, obviously, is a mind-blowing movie to watch. It's not only is it a great action movie, sci-fi action movie, but it's just like a really well-made film and kind of a man letting go of his his it's not really a spoiler to say his wife is dead, uh, but like letting go of that grief and being able to move on. Um and then it has one of the best
0: endings of all time. Uh I think I mentioned this was like one of the first films that I went to see by myself. Oh yeah. So it was also completely got off of it. Uh one of the first times where I left the movie theater and I had this sense it was like I think that this was a good movie, but I don't have the words to say it. It's like I I would need to th- to actually like think about this and figure out what this movie was actually about before I I could actually talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and I I think that I I'd probably experienced that a couple of times before, but given that this was that came out in 2010, mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure that I came out while I was still in Bible college. And one of the things that happens at Bible college is that you think about things a lot. And then you talk about the things that you think about with other people who have been thinking a lot. And uh, this was the first time where I'd, I'd gone back and I remember like proselytizing for this movie. It was like, you have to see this. If f- only for the sake that I have someone else to talk to, yeah. you have to see this. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was... Definitely an impactful movie. I think it, it of, of the Christopher Nolan films, um, it's probably my favorite. Yeah. Uh, even though I, I think that his best storytelling is in another film. This is uh, what Interstellar, if it wasn't so cheesy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Inception is in a rolling pin with two other movies as to which one is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. It changes every day. Inception is one of the only movies that I think I saw it when I was, like, 11, which Lord of the Rings is what sparked my passion for filmmaking probably when I was a kid and what made me want to make movies just, like, literally before I can remember. But when being, like, conscious, I think Inception and The Prestige were probably some of the first ones I saw where I was like, oh, snap, movies can be, like, really crazy. Um, Because Nolan is super mainstream, but he's also, like, a mainstream director that, like... He intentionally you have to think. subverts. Yeah. Um, and so uh Inception I watched for the first time when I was like eleven. Uh and I watched it at night and then woke up the next morning and put it back in and watched it again. Just because I was especially the for an eleven year old mind, the ending was like that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Like <laughs> genius. Like, how would you even come up with that? Um But yeah, I, I love Inception. It's there was a time where I got I watched it too many times within, like, a, however a given amount of time, and I was like, okay, I need to give it a break because I'm going to burn myself out on it and stop liking it as much. But, yeah, it's amazing. But No Country for All Men is also uh, one of my favorites, and I I have a list on Letterboxd of movies that – because cause no movie is perfect, but I have a list of a few that I'm like, this is about as close as it gets. I think No Country is up there. I did a, a video essay on No Country for Old Men for a school project last semester, um, just because I think it's a lot deeper than a lot of people think. Um, but man, I love the movie. What do you what What's your experience with No Country for Old Men?
0: So I first saw the movie uh, w- when I was in high school. The I may or may not have snuck it into my house. Uh, there was a, a period of time where I worked at McDonald's and we had a Redbox. This was when Redbox was like first introduced. And one of the things that my parents don't know but would know if they listen to this podcast now <laughs> is that I would rent a movie from Redbox and sneak it in because I had huge pockets in my McDonald's pants. Nice. Uh, so I could sneak a whole DVD in and no, nobody would know, know. And so that was how I got to watch No Country for Old Men was on DVD. And immediately loved it even though um, there there was just so much that went over my head the first time but the as the years went by and I shared that film with with different groups of people um, there was still just something about it that captivated me and eventually I, I read the book from Cormac McCarthy and the book honestly is so freaking good and this is one of the, the, those rare times where I think that the screenplay took what the book did and did it better. Mm. Um, not, I mean, there's just a, a, a couple plot points that are different uh, in the movie, but the way that the Cohen brothers brought Anton Sugar to life yeah. was just so terrifying, tangibly yeah. terrifying.
1: I think what's so great about it is he just feels like literally you can't do anything again. Like he's – he is the unstoppable force. I mean he – at one point in the movie he does get wounded but like there's – well, I think one of the more – it it gets a little spoilery so I'll I'll try not to go too far into it. But I think there is a point where that facade kind of falls and it's so telling – about like what his whole character has been, um, but yeah, for the entire movie, he just seems like a ghost because it's like you can't you can't hurt him. Even when you heard him, you you didn't stop him. Like it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and we were uh, just talking about it earlier, off the pod. Uh, but like, it's surprisingly, for me at least, it's not definitely probably the least funny Cohen movie, but. It's funny at times. Like he calls a screwdriver a scroogey. Uh
0: that's a dead dog.
1: Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh and the way he's like Step out of the car, please, sir. Like is <laughs> the, his, the way the he car. speaks. It's just so good. Uh the the whole gas station scene, uh, when he when he walks up to the poor old man and just like literally, verbally, this guy cannot win. It's like anything he said, he just tries, he's like, okay, clearly I offended this guy. I'm just going to try and patch things up. Anton just comes around and is like, no, what did you mean by that? it's like, that, that scene is just like, the whole movie has some of the most tense moments I've ever seen. The moment where Llewellyn is in the hotel room, just waiting with a shotgun, and you're like, "Oh, I think I hear somebody down the hall." The the sound design in that scene, that that's got to be one of the most tense scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Um, and then it's kind of famous for having like an anti climax. Um, but I think the last scene, um, which is that when I did this video essay, it's the scene I uh, was like the central part of my thesis was like the last scene which is totally not what you'd think the last scene of the movie would be it's just basically a guy sitting down talking to his wife that whole scene is like for me the key to understanding the movie um, but it seems completely pointless like if first time watching it you're probably like, what does this have to do with anything this does this isn't fulfilling this is a guy talking about the dream he had last night yeah. but I think it's everything so- to do with the movie.
0: I absolutely love the end. Yeah. It's because of those two dreams that he tells. Yeah. Cuz uh I used to think on, that f- on, on rewatches I I kept trying to figure out cuz there's these archetypes, right? The character archetypes. Yeah. Uh Anton Sugar is obviously the bad guy and then Lou Ellen Moss tries to be the good guy, but he's kind of more He's kind of an idiot. He's morally complex. Uh I don't I don't know that I would say idiot. Um, just because, like, he, I think
1: he thinks he's cooler than he is.
0: He makes a lot of decisions that make sense, and they do a good job yeah. of showing the those decisions being made on screen. And it also makes sense to the audience. Like, oh, yeah. he's thinking about this right now.
1: Yeah, without dialogue.
0: Uh, yeah, without dialogue. It's hard to to really communicate like that. Uh, but the end, especially the dream. Uh, of his father that he's recounting. Yeah. It's like there's obviously so much meaning just dripping off of a dream like that. Right. And then for me, I, I just could not get over I I'm still haunted sometimes by Tommy Lee Jones' face just at the end. It's just
1: With the clock ticking behind him?
0: Yeah, it's just stone-faced and then it cuts to black.
1: Yeah. Even the conversation that he has in the scene before that with his cousin... Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: has a has a that's a great scene. But yeah, the I actually showed. So I think I I watched the movie. It instantly became one of my favorites. I showed it to my mom. She didn't like it. Uh, and then I showed it to my dad. He didn't like it. Uh, both of them were just. It, it's just senseless killing. It's a guy like and then, without spoiling the end, like what was the point? Like mm. it, if it all ends in evil, basically, like what was the point of that? Um, and then I gave my interpretation of what I thought the dreams meant, and then my mom was like, it's not a bad movie. (laughs) I was (laughs) like, I I genuinely think if you can, I I mean, I haven't read the book. I don't know what the Coens were going for. It's completely something I've made up in terms of what I think the dreams mean, but for me, it it justifies the whole movie, and I think, um, I mean, I don't want to dedicate this podcast to No Country for Old Men, but... Um, I think the dream it, it takes what seems like a completely hopeless world and a hopeless situation, and like, with my interpretation of the dream, it like, that's the hope, mm. um, in the hopeless world. Um, so no country for All men is, it slaps.
0: Uh, uh, that's interesting. That so you're you're definitely like my type of movie watcher. Just we should there. start a podcast. We should start. A, <laughs> we should start a podcast. No, I, I remember one time I shared this that movie with uh, a group of guys in college. So the house where we lived, we called it the Republic, and we would often watch movies together. It's like a once a month sort of thing. And one mo- one month it was my time to pick a movie, and I picked No Country for Old Men. And I remember at the end of it, uh, when it cut to black, like there's just silence. I kind of looked around the room and then. One of my roommates at the time, he, he just said, well, that was some hipster bullshit. And I was like, <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, why would you say that? How could you think that? How did we – did we watch really the same movie? It's really not that hipster. There's
1: much more <laughs> hipster movies that you could watch.
0: But his complaints were a lot of the same. It was just like – it, it ended so ambiguously. It was like, yeah, you got to put a little work into it, bro. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, that to me – it's funny because, again, my parents' whole complaint was like, it's so hopeless – but I actually think it's like super hopeful. Like I think the ending is like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> like I think it 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 brings me a lot of hope when I watch that movie.
0: I definitely think that there's more to talk about there. I was gonna and say don't, maybe, I, don't, yeah. I don't I don't really want to make this an Yeah, we'll just talk about that. No country for pod. old men analysis. Yeah. Uh, I might save it for my blog.
1: Nice. Uh Oh, man. <laughs> man the Truman show okay I do wonder Lord of the Rings isn't anywhere on your list I'm curious about that
0: they, those are great movies i I
1: thought those were like some of your favorites
0: they they are uh, I've seen them plenty of times I've devoted a lot of my life to them mm-hmm. given that one movie is like six hours long yeah the as far as how I view movies and and stuff like that. Those are that's not like the typical movie experience for me, right? It's not I'm not gonna sit down and watch nine hours of content. Yeah.
1: Well you can just watch three at a
0: time. All three movies at a time? That's nine No, hours three
1: of hours of the content at a oh, time. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So uh you you could break it up into movies like that, but it's like, for me, I, I really prefer cinema that's between like ninety to hundred and twenty minutes runtime.
1: Hmm. Okay. The Truman Show is interesting because it seems m- m- pretty lighthearted compared to a lot of the other things in your list. I'd say I'd say the most lighthearted on your list, from what I've seen, would be probably Knives Out, Scott Pilgrim, and Truman Show. But the Truman Show, I think, is also super deep.
0: Um, we talked. Uh, I would not use the word lighthearted for that film. I mean, uh, the the premise where there's basically like a person who's been imprisoned from birth against his knowledge. Well, the, t- but tonally, I mean, especially for the first 30 minutes,
1: it's like, oh, this is a fun romp with Jimothy Carey, but it doesn't, obviously, there are darker things in it. Um, but it's super hopeful,
0: too. Uh, so I often describe myself as relatively and pretty forcefully anti-authoritarian. Okay. And the way that Truman comes to learn about this thing that's been ruling his life without his knowledge or permission uh, and how he deals with it there's just there's a lot of liberation in that yeah and oh yeah so for sure man that, I think that that's why it's my number one
1: that shot of the staircase so good iconic people I mean that's one of the, there's several things I think when a movie's really good um I can't like I can watch it but I can't imagine it being filmed Um, And the Truman Show, like, especially that scene, it's, like, like, that's just so perfect visually and, like, both metaphor, but it's also just beautiful and, like, something I've never seen before as a visual. I'm just, like, I can't imagine that being filmed, like, because all of everything that's in the frame was a choice that a person made, but, like, it just feels so, I guess, transcendent, but, like watching this new Batman trailer like I can't imagine that being filmed like it just looks so good but Truman Show is the same way it's just so good well, when are we gonna get your top 20 Sam oh Michael uh let's see how about the next time we record a podcast so maybe not the next episode that people hear but next batch of episodes we record why don't we throw my top 20 in there
0: Okay. if you can get that to me I'll put it on my letterbox and probably happen before we record our next podcast Come cool out. beans cool well we're gonna sign off for this episode thank you all for joining thank you everybody thanks
1: for
2: listening thank you brennan of
1: the fairy sound love
2: you i love you too buddy thanks for having me uh in my random uneducated opinion at one point about mental health and movies <laughs> okay boys you. good night sleep tight good night Bye.